You're listening to the Roanoke Valley Church Podcast. Today's sermon is from Nehemiah chapter 8, entitled, The Joy of the Lord is Your Strength. This sermon highlights the time where God's people have finished building the wall, but the people themselves need to be built. Here they ask for the Word of God, they desire it, they have reverence for it, and they quickly apply it. Learn how all this plays into how we can have the joy of the Lord be our strength too. Visit our website at RoanokeValleyChurch.org or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Roanoke Valley Church. More resources, sermons, and links to help you be a part of what God is doing in the Roanoke Valley. And now, enjoy today's sermon. And again, uh, happy Father's Day to everyone. It's great to be able to sing about our Father in Heaven. Amen? So hopefully, uh, if you are a dad uh, or a car enthusiast, we've got a couple extra Hot Wheel cars in the back. So uh, yeah, Kevin, you can have your... Your dibs, Jamie, you pick out your dream car in the back. All right, so Jason got a food truck or a service truck. Uh, I got a truck. I actually got to pick it out yesterday. It was the only truck in the basket. So I got first dibs. So uh, there you go. But guys are always dreaming about their dream cars. I don't think that ever ends. Or dream motorcycles. No motorcycles, Sean. Sorry. Nikkei says amen, right? That's right. Okay. Okay. Amen. Oh, oh, you brought my truck right on. Here it is. And uh, Henry's in children's ministry upstairs, so keep your trucks close to you. Because if Henry sees it, he might, uh, he might give you that puppy dog look, and you won't be able to say no. So, amen. He's a car enthusiast. Amen. Uh, amen. It, it is great to be together on, on Father's Day. It's great to be able to celebrate who God is, of course, and be able to celebrate also uh, the men in whom God's image is seen. Uh, the men here at the RVC are, are truly of noble character, and it's been, uh, it's been great to be here for over a decade now and be able to uh, see all that in action. But we, all, we also recognize, as, uh, as we do it in Mother's Day, too, uh, that this day is filled with mixed emotions. That while we sing songs about a uh, good, good Father and who our, our Father in Heaven is, uh, we must recognize and empathize that not everyone has the same experience with their dads. Some, some reality is some of our dads aren't here any longer. Uh, some of our dads at some points in our lives hurt or neglected, you name it. You can, it's, a, it's on the spectrum. But to be able to recognize that as we celebrate our dads, but we also have a heart and an eye out to those who are mourning and who are grieving and who are wrestling with the goodness of God because it's so connected to the goodness of our own parents. So we recognize that here this morning at the RVC. This is a great day of celebration, and we all look to God because he is uh, the father we all aspire to be and also the father that we uh, will will only have in him. But please look out for one another. That this is a day also where if you are grieving or hurt, uh, that you're you're welcome to do that today. Uh, Please do not feel like you've got to keep it all smiley because others are. Uh, We recognize that's all part of life and we strive to reflect God's heart in that too. Amen? Uh, we are going through a series of Nehemiah. I really wrestled with uh, a Father's Day lesson, uh, but I think, I think the Spirit worked in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 as we've been going through that expositionally, uh, that Nehemiah 8 brought us to some great principles of, of our God in heaven and recognizing uh, who he is and how that aspires us to be who he calls us to be. Uh, the title of this lesson this morning is the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. 
And what I hope to bring today, what God's put on my heart, is recognizing that if we know how God sees us, we will understand how to see him. And as we see him, that will evoke in us a, a obedience, an excitement, and as the title lesson says, there will be a joy that ends up being our strength no matter what life throws at us. Amen? So if you will, if you have a Bible or uh, next to someone who does, flip over to Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll read uh, the entire chapter this morning. Next Sunday, if you're here, uh, we've got a special treat. Cody, Cody Dowdy and the Lynchburg Valley Church are coming down uh, to worship with us on Sunday, and Cody will be preaching the word. So uh, that'll be a great time. If you haven't got a chance to hear him uh, speak before, it'll be a great, great time. All right, Nehemiah chapter 8. The joy of the Lord is our strength. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the teacher of the law stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattatiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseiah. And on his left were Pedadiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadananam, <laughs> that's not how it says, Hashbadana, <laughs> Zechariah, and Meshulam. Again, if you ask me to read that again, I'll say everything different. I practiced a couple days and it's, it came out different than how it did in my office. Anyway, verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Shebediah, Shurabiah, Jamin, now Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Mesiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Pelaliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the teacher, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. 
They should proclaim the word and spread it throughout the towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, from the myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the, with the regulation, there was an assembly. We'll stop there. A tremendous time here has happened, and it does parallel, as we read Ezra a few months ago, that Ezra chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 8 are almost parallel stories. And you recognize, if you remember some of the history here, Ezra has been serving the people faithfully in this land all the way from 458 B.C. Nehemiah shows up in 445 B.C. So Ezra has been reading and instructing and teaching the people to return back to the Word of God for a number of decades at this point. So if you recall the history, Jerusalem was in ruins, no walls, no temples, no altar, nothing. Ezra comes in and rebuild, helps rebuild the temple, helps rebuild the altar, and then Nehemiah comes in and helps rebuild the wall. But Ezra recognized a number of things. Yes, we need to build the physical city of Jerusalem, but the people of God need to be built too. And we recognize here in this parallel story of Ezra, in, in Nehemiah chapter 8 rather, that God does build a physical temple where he can reside in that recognition of celebration and safety with God as their provider and protector. But he also recognizes it's one thing to build a wall, a physical place to worship, but it's a whole nother thing to make sure everyone who comes is built by God too. And we recognize that, and I think even more so as the, as the narrative of God continues into the New Testament, that the disciples at one point were still amazed by the big stones and big, big rocks that made up the temple. And what did Jesus say? Ah, in three days, this is going to be destroyed. This is nothing. But he constantly has metaphors and illustrations and parables about how our lives are built on what? The Word of God. The very words of Jesus. The Word of God who became flesh in Jesus. So we recognize that God wants to build us through his Word as it's been made known through the prophets and Jesus, and as we continue to look to him. So as we break this down a little bit this morning, I do want to recognize that first, in, in light of Father's Day, but also here in this text, they're reminded a number of times that the joy of the Lord is their strength. That they're grieving, and they're weeping, and they're responding appropriately to the word of God, but then the, the priests and the teachers said, no, 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 the joy of the Lord, that there's a, there's a sense that you should have joy in the Lord. And I think, okay, that's not always easy to grasp. That's not always easy to have. And the goal for us as we read God's word prayerfully, attentively, and learn from them this morning, that the joy of the Lord becomes our strength too. I want to give you a few verses. If you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of scriptures at you. I hope that's okay. But again, I mentioned that we, we can respond to God when we first understand how he sees us. That we recognize that how God sees his people 
And that breaks through stereotypes, that breaks through even false teaching, that breaks through how we see, even see the good things of our fathers or the things that are lacking in our fathers. We've got to go somewhere to help us have a true image of who our father is meant to be. And that comes through many a scripture that will help us respond in kind. Zephaniah 3.17 says this about God and how he feels about you. The Lord your God will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. You gotta let that hit your heart. God takes great delight in you. Some of us grew up thinking God was, as, as the, the olden days say, that we are, we are sinners in the hands of a what? An angry God. That God is just angry, just waiting to pounce on anyone who disobeys, whose ego is so great that when we first think anything differently, God is there to smite us and teach us a lesson. Some of us think God takes us constantly behind the woodshed to straighten us out, right? Maybe your dads did that or threatened to take you behind the woodshed. And we giggle about that now, perhaps. But God's not that way. Zephaniah 3.17 says that he rejoices over you with singing. I don't know about you dads out there, if you've ever tried to break out and sing one of your kids' favorite songs, and you ruin it for them. You know, like, oh, no. That happens to me and my two kids. Like, dad's listening to the same music I do, and he sings it? Time to change genres. First Peter 5, 7 in the Amplified Version says, This declares the Lord that he cares for you affectionately, and he cares about you watchfully. God's affection is on you, and he watches you. you got to have the image of a, of a proud dad, like, there, there's my girl, there's my boy. As, he goes, as you go about your day, he's, he's not just looking at you, waiting for you to slip up waiting to correct you all the time, but he's there looking affectionately upon you, that his watchful eye is upon you. Ephesians 2, verse 4 says that God is rich, so rich in his mercy. Because of this, in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loves us. Think about the intensity of God's love. These are the things we must ponder first. You often have people say, or ask, why do you do what you do? Or other things or other phrases say, you gotta understand the why. And we can get into what God wants for us, what he commands us as we look at this text. They respond to the law. Some of us can even get funny about, hey, the word of God, and is it just about doing what it says? Or is it about something more? Isn't, isn't Jesus himself the word made flesh? Isn't this about a relationship, not just a bunch of to-dos? And some of us are more prone to be by the book, so to speak, and it's a list of to-dos. And our relationship with God is more, is more akin to you say it, so I do it. And it's more dutiful. It's honorable and it's right, but that's not the whole thing. And some of us are like, hey, it's about a relationship with God and the word's not really in my life. And it's more about my connection and how I interpret my relationship with God through the lens of just a relationship that's not built on covenant and doing what God says. So both are true in and of themselves, but what we see here in the narrative of God's word is there is a call to obey, but there is a relationship. And trying to always harmonize those two, I believe, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we see here, and why I bring these scriptures to you to bear first, is that God is calling us to have a reverence for his word. He is calling us to put it into practice immediately. But those things are hard. 
to do if you don't understand how God sees you. And it's very hard to con just to continue to be someone who's just dutiful and do it without the connection. God doesn't want either of those things. He wants us to be connected, and he does want us to understand and have reverence and awe and quick to put into practice his words. This is making sense. The Bible does call me out here and said that they listened because they understood the words. So Ezra does a great job of actually making these words make sense. So that's a high calling for anyone who ever speaks. This is one thing just to talk and throw out some word salad, but do people walk away understanding the word of God? I pray that you do. Last passage here for now. Psalm 37 in the NLT, New Living Translation says, Your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. These are the psalmists who write these things about God. And again, just to let those things wash over you this morning, that you have a God in heaven and a God here on earth who walks among us, that his love is as vast as the heavens. Take a look outside. Practically, we get a little bit of that sky. That blue just keeps on going, and that's nothing in comparison to how precious God's love is for you. And those things can hit us a couple of different ways. One, some of us this morning are like, yes, thank you. Some of us are like, eh, that's not really how I get down. Like, you don't need to, like, shower me with all these words of affection. You know, just, and our hearts can be a bit hardened to some of these loving, dare I say, even romantic words from your father. I'm uncomfortable with those things. I just read some awesome Father's Day cards this morning. And my kids are sitting there across the table, and they, they worked on it. It was awesome and very clever. But I found my heart and my eyes like, I don't want to get too worked up about this. Like, these are really sweet cards. Oh, my goodness. And I, can, I felt the resistance of like, whoa, man, just doting on my kids, like, thank you. And it was almost like a reserved, like, oh, thanks, guys. But I knew in my heart, I was like, oh, man, this is really, really, really special. So I know my kids get a very watered-down version of the, of the emphatic love of God from me. And I've got to let this wash over me this morning so that I can reflect that love to them, too. So in the same way for you, whether you're a words of affection kind of guy or gal, or you're like just revel in the relationship of how God sees you, or you're more reserved and you lean more towards, yeah, yeah, I know God feels that way about me, but like, what does God want me to do? And maybe that's how you operate. Again, both strengths, but again, God wants to get us all there. Amen? So let these things hit you. And I started there first because it's the joy of the Lord. That is our strength. That joy of how he sees you is meant to do something. It's meant to solidify and strengthen and inspire. And as 2 Corinthians 5 says, the love of Christ compels us. It's meant to get us moving, not to a to-do list or to be more productive, but it's meant to hit us in the heart so that we see who God is and that changes our lens for everything in our lives and whatever comes. Are you with me? So with that being there first, we do see a couple, couple practicals for, this, for us this morning that we can learn from, from this group. One, in the sense that the joy of the Lord was their strength, it was because they desired the word. The joy of the Lord became their strength because, one, they desired the word. They desired to hear the word of God. Verse 1 and 2, it says there that they told Ezra the teacher, bring out the book of the law of Moses. Like, we want that. 
bring that out to us. And they brought out the, he brought out the word, and he read it to them. They understood by, by Ezra's teaching at this point that as the seventh month uh, came about, that's like the new year for the civil calendar in, in the Jewish calendar. So the, the seventh month was upon them, and they knew that the assembly for the word of God to be, to be read publicly, all of us get together, they knew that was coming. So they said, okay, we, it's time for the word. Bring the word out. They built this platform so that Ezra could be up on top. This isn't elevating Ezra. Again, don't think of this through Western eyes. This is descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning this is not how worship has to go, right? Western Christianity has definitely elevated the platform of the speaker. They did work on this platform way before this because it had to fit 14 people. So a wooden platform was created. Why? They built this platform so that everybody could hear, everybody could see. Right? If we have impractical seating and you're like, I can't hear, that's discouraging. So again, the platform's there not to elevate Ezra, but the heart was, we want everyone to hear this. This is too important to miss. So again, descriptive, not prescriptive, meaning that it doesn't, whoever's speaking doesn't have to be on a higher platform, doesn't have to be elevated. This is about the word of God being spoken, not about who's delivering it. Does that make sense? Again, I think that's got to hit us because we think of church a certain way. And again, this is great, but we've got to see God's heart through all of this. Amen? But they do desire it. They want to hear it. Romans tells us that faith comes from hearing the message. The gospel, we just sang about it. The simple gospel. The simple gospel that God loves. And he did everything and will continue to do everything he can to have reconciliation with his children. All eight billion plus of them. That is the simple gospel. But they desire the word of God. Yes, the word of God is there in your phones and in your lap. But I do want to broaden that. That it's not just this that we're after. It's my truck. It's not just this that we're after. But as John 1.14 says, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory in the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Gospels captured Jesus' life, those three years of ministry. And the, the epistles and, and all of the Old Testament, the Psalms and the books of wisdom, all those point to whom? To Jesus. We have the Word of God, but the last time I checked, it's not the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Meaning, yes, we have the Word of God, and yes, this is God's spoken, inspired Word, but the Word of God helps us continue to see the Word made flesh clear. The way Jesus continues to navigate through our world. The relevancy of who He was and who He is in Scripture brings clarity, discernment, instruction, joy, you name it, into today. So we are men and women, I pray, of the Word of God. But we also understand that Jesus continues to navigate through our world to help these words come to life all the more. So it's really twofold, knowing God's Word, but it's a, it's a desire to know Him. To know Him. There is a difference. You understand there are men and women in this world that know the Bible better than you ever will. And they don't believe. There are men and women that can quote more scripture than you, break it down, give it the Hebrew, Greek, all this kind of stuff, and they don't know 
God. And you can also talk to some children over there who have a very basic but simple understanding of who God, and dare I say, they may know God better than you. So it's not about, do I know the Word of God? But does the Word of God help me know Him? So there's a difference. So desiring the Word of God, yes, isn't just desiring a, an under, a memorization or understanding for understanding's sake, but I desire the Word of God because I want to know Him. And that is the heart I see here and the heart I want to have. And that becomes more exciting when I know God desires me and his joy can be my strength. So we understand that. So Matthew 4 tells us, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 105, I told you there are lots of scriptures coming at you. Your word is like a lamp and shows me the way. It is like a light that guides me. Yes, the word of God guides us through life, but it shows us who God is. Psalm 119, 114, you are my place of safety. You are like a shield that keeps me safe. I have put my hope in your word. There is a practical understanding here that the psalmist says, that I know your word and it is like a light to my path. It is a shield for me. Truth protects. Truth guides. Knowing and desiring the word of God is akin to, I want to be guided down the path. Without it, I walk without the light. And without it, I am not as protected as God wants me to be. I am a sitting duck. I am easy pickings for whatever may be if I don't know God's word. So yes, know your word, but you want to be in the light. You want to walk in the light. You want to follow he who is the light, as Jesus says that I am the light of the world, so that we can know him. I'm going to say that about 12 more times in my notes, so I hope that's the takeaway. Secondly, if joy, the joy of the Lord will be our strength, we desire the word of God, but then we have a reverence for the word of God, a reverence for the word of God. We understand the magnitude of God's word. We see here that, yes, the wooden platform in verse 4, they built that for the occasion because they knew this was important. Everyone has got to hear this. In verse 4, all the names that I butchered, those guys were up there for a reason. This wasn't a showcase of the head honchos and who's great. This wasn't some Western Christianity. Let's put all the important people up front so everyone, oh, that's the people. No, 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 no. These people, as it says later, these were the ones that actually began to interpret and teach what Ezra was saying. These men were going to be disseminated and dispersed among the crowd to help everyone understand what Ezra was reading. So here it's a small enough group, but you can imagine if, if, Paul, if this room is packed full and Paul is in the back like, okay, what, what John just read from, from the book of Moses, this is what he said, this is what, this is what it means, and it's, it's making sure everyone understands. So these people were, were, were commissioned to help people understand what was being read. Verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, those, those 13, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. There's a reverence for the word of God, so much so that there are people dedicated 
dedicated in understanding it so that others can understand. It's a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ is meant to be. That we are meant to be reliable men and women who understand the word of truth and are able to correctly handle the word of truth. Why? So that we can stick our chest out and say, we know it, you don't. No, no, no. We know it so that others can know. There's no arrogance in this. There's reverence and this is important and this brings joy and life. We know it and we love it and therefore we want others to know it too. You know, the world and Christianity for sure, Christianity is on trial. It always has been, but it's really on trial now because other people will take this and I've, I'm guilty of this too, where you know it and you want people to understand it, but your approach, your approach really isn't understanding for them. It's, I want you to know that what I'm saying is right. And that means you're wrong. That the approach of knowing God's word and having a reverence for it doesn't mean that you come at it and say, you know what, the, the, the charge for me is to go out and make sure everybody knows what's right and what's wrong. And if I walk away from you, you just knowing that you're wrong, then mission accomplished. You know what's right, and now you know you're wrong. But understanding, as it is Father's Day, think about if a father or a parent, that their goal was just to make sure you knew they were right and you were wrong. And that's how you learn truth. Daddy's always right, mommy's always wrong. And whenever dad talks to me, the takeaway is I missed something and he had it right. Or mom has it right and I keep messing up. And if Christianity kind of takes that same type of mantle of we disseminate truth into the world, but our end goal isn't always understanding that we're okay with, you know what, we'll just kind of tell you you're wrong. And that unfortunately has been what many will criticize Christianity about, is that people are taking their soapboxes and they're raising their platforms and they're just preaching to make you feel like you don't have it, but there's not a life and there's not a community that will engage in helping you to understand. I wanna take a step back here and understand that the, the narrative here, if you, if you will, the narrative here is what was built first for these people? What did God want to be built first? Protection, a safe place, a place where people's needs were being taken care of. And then what did they get? Then they got the word. If you've been deprived of a meal for weeks, and then I sit in front of you, and I have an awesome meal, that's for you, but I say, ah, not yet. Not yet, no, 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 no. Do you believe this? Do you do that? Like, I don't care what you're saying. I can't focus because I have meet, immediate needs. I, I don't even care what you're saying. I'm hungry. On and on and on. If there's people in our community that don't feel safe to, to approach you, they don't care what you have to say. Their needs aren't being met first. It's the same thing with kids. They don't care what you have to say if they don't know how much you what? Care. We think this changes when we get older. No, God, God says, I love you, I'm affectionate, I share for you, I live for you, I'm, I'm all, you're the apple of my eye. All of these things are true, and I have some things to say. In the same way, God's church is meant to be that way, where we revere the word of God so much so that we imitate God's character in it. We don't settle for just this is right and this is wrong, but we imitate God in all that we do. I see that here, we strive for that is that these people, they built protection. 
They built in safety. And now let's bring them the word that will bring them joy. You with me on that? Again, I said this earlier, but the challenge for us, and I pray is not the practical you take away, is that out of your desire for the word of God and out of your desire to, rever- to have reverence for the word of God, that you just go and search the scriptures without understanding that your search is meant for you to know him better. John 5, 39 said that about the, about the Pharisees. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these, are, and these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you would have life. There's always that danger for us when we revere the word of God that we do it in such a way that we're just after what's right or after truth. But we miss him in the process. The Pharisees were professional truth finders. Professional right mongerers. But they missed the heart of God. They missed Jesus who was standing literally right in front of them. And that can be the danger for us. Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus and Paul's prayer for us in Ephesians 1.17 likewise says that I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you will know him better. God's prayer for our desire to know his word, have his word, and revere it is to know him better. We know that God's word is powerful. We know it's living and active, Hebrews 4.12. We know that it's something that we need to hear over and over again, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, because there's always a danger of our ears hearing, wanting to hear what our itching ears want to hear. I butchered that scripture. There's always a chance that we want to hear what our itching ears want to hear. So we need the word of God to discern and decipher truth because we always lean to tell me what I want to hear. Tell me this, tell me that. And the word of God is useful so that we are not carried off by the fabrications of the world. We're not carried off by the most popular teaching. We're not carried off by the most persuasive or the most charismatic. I mean, YouTube is filled with phenomenal preachers, but you've got to vet it against the word of God. And the same is true for me. And whoever's listening out there on internet world, you've got to go back to the Word of God. We've been having some great Bible studies uh, here recently. My brother Rolando and I, we, we're pretty much posting up at this coffee shop on Starkey Road. They, they know us. And we, we've looked at scriptures with a number of uh, young men, young professionals, and it's without fail every time we sit down, like, okay, we've looked at a lot of scriptures. You need to go back and look at what we've shared to discern if what we said was true. Don't take my word for it. Go back to the word of God. And that's got to be our practice no matter who it is. No matter how comfortable or inspired you are by whomever. Be a people of the word who revere it so much so. I'm going to take this and make sure I know it's true from here. Amen? Third and lastly, coming in for landing. The joy of instant application. To have the joy of God be your strength is to have the joy of instant application. In this text, they celebrate their understanding. I don't know what that was. Celebrate the understanding. They get to know what God says more clearly. They see God working in the world. They remember this Feast of Booths, which is when they were actually in the wilderness, and God took care of them. God took care of them in their temporary shelters, and they brought them to the Promised Land. So as they had the Word of God read, and as the leaders had the Word of God 
influenced them. They remembered, oh, this is the seventh month. It's time to celebrate. It's time to remember what God has done. When people heard the word of God, they were exposed, so much so that they began to weep. Ever read God's word or heard a lesson or whatever it is and you're convicted? You're like, ooh, I'm off. I have strayed from what God's word calls me to do, to be, to think. And there's times, whether you're crying or not, you're convicted. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict. And they're weeping. They're weeping. And we know that repentance, there is godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 tells us that. that there's godly sorrow with repentance. Chapter 9 is all about them confessing their sin and repenting. But what we see here in today's lesson that they hear this and they recognize they have not been living the way they should. And what the leaders tell them to do is, don't cry. Dry your eye. It is time to celebrate. That there are times when, right here, where God says, okay, okay, okay. I know you're convicted. I know you feel sad for where you are. But right now is a time to put this into practice. And in that, you will have joy. Some of us have been convicted, and we just stay there. And we're like, oh, man, I blew it again. And, we're, and it ends up actually being more akin to worldly sorrow, where you're constantly sitting in a place of, oh, man, I stink, and oh, God's angry with me, and is he mad at me, and oh, man, I did it again. And we kind of sit there, and we think beating ourselves up, and the more tears we cry, and the harder we're, we're sorry, is the less likely we'll do it again. That's actually not the prescription that God gives us to turn from sin. And to have his joy be our strength. It's to recognize that he is loving and he is caring. And yes, he has ex expectations and there are convictions in which we need to live by. But there's time to get up and let's just do what he says. Let's actually put it into practice. Acts 3.19 says, just turn to God and times of refreshment will come. Joy will come by you doing what God tells you to do. They, at this point in this text, said that they, they turned... And their joy was so great that this had never been done. This festival had never been done with joy like this before. But there's a moment like, yeah, we've had this celebration before. Yeah, we've done this feast before. Yeah, we've had this church service before. But we never had a church service like that. We never had joy like that before. If this place of worship lacks joy, if your life lacks joy, if this lacks joy, you know what might be the issue? We're not refreshed by doing what God tells us to do. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 9 and 11, Jesus says this about his spirit. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. Why? Why did Jesus remain in, Father, in his Father's love? Why is he calling us to keep his commandments? Why is he telling us to be in the vine as branches? Verse 11 tells you why. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What is Jesus saying? The joy of the Lord can be your strength because you will do what I say and you'll see that it's true. That joy comes from living like God. 
The best joy comes from putting God's word into practice, being a man or a woman of instant application. Where the Proverbs say, a man who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Maybe some of you woke up this morning and said, you know what, Father's Day is a great day not to go to church. Father's Day is a great day just to let the kids just bring me breakfast to bed and you know what, I'm not going to go to church. Father's Day is a great day just to stay online. And it's fine, there's reasons for everything. But anyway, hey, if the shoe fits, wear. Anyway, this sense of, you know what, I applaud you for, for, for coming out. That's, that's, that's huge. But there's a sense of, you know what? If I want real joy, I gotta put God's word into practice. If I really wanna see God work in the world, I need to do what he says. To the skeptics, Jesus says, hey, just do what I say and you will know if whether I come from God or not. Joy lacks, let me do what God says. Loving lacks, let me love like God loves. Difficulty, let me do what God says in this difficult relationship, and let's see how it goes. There are so many times where I've said, you know what, I feel this way, but let me just do what God says. In the end, I'm like, that was so much better than if I had just stayed where I was. There are so many times where I want to be self-serving and say, okay, no, this is a need. I don't really want to do it, but let me just obey. And I realize, oh my goodness, so much better use of my time to actually meet with that person or pick up that phone call or go serve that person, whatever it may be. And I believe you can ponder the moments where you might have felt it, you might not have wanted to, but you did it and said, ah, so true, so much better. James 1 says that exact same thing. That if you do what he says, if you take the time to intently look at the law that gives life, you will be blessed in all that you do. This podium is falling apart one screw at a time. The joy of the Lord can be our strength. Here, as they were rattled for things that the law said, said, no, 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 it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate. I encourage us here in the RBC to be able to have the joy of the Lord be our strength. How? One, we gotta recognize how much joy God has over you. Let that resonate with you today. Wash God's joy and his love and how he has a watchful eye over you today first. Because then out of that compelling love, I believe we'll want to know God's word more. I believe we'll want to spend more time with him. I believe we'll say things like, I don't have to, I get to. I get to follow God. I get to put this into practice. I get to study. I get to learn. And those things will become more and more of who we are. Let's desire the word of God. If you've gotten off track with your times with him, with actually studying his word, learning his word, if you have a desire to want to know God's word more, talk to the someone next to you. Say, hey, you know what? Let's dive into the scriptures together. I desire to know what God has to say. If you're out of practice, Let's just make the decision to get back in it, no matter where it leads. Secondly, if we're going to have that, we're going to have reverence for the Word of God. It is something to be honored, but it's not the Holy Bible and the Holy Father and the, and the Holy, Holy Jesus, the Trinity. It is knowing Jesus, knowing God. The Bible points 
to the Word made flesh and who Jesus is. And let's think about the instant application we can have and the joy that awaits us. Thanks so much. Let's stand for a final song. And happy Father's Day. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. Be sure to check back every Sunday for new sermons listed right here. Subscribe to us on YouTube and like us on Facebook to stay in touch with all that God is doing in the Roanoke Valley Church. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.